Well, it's, again, a great privilege to be here today. I'm grateful that uh, Pastor Rice has asked me to come, and uh, I've enjoyed his friendship and fellowship over the years. This morning, for the message, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. I'd like to bring a message entitled, Praying According to the Word of God. This message is based upon the prayer of Acts chapter 4 that the disciples give, and it is a pattern for us to be able to pray effectively, and especially to quote the Word of God in your prayers. And as you quote the Word of God in your prayers, you have more authority, you have greater boldness, and you can see greater answers to your prayer. And so if you turn to Acts chapter 4, going to pick up reading with verse number 16. Our text uh, begins at verse number 21, but uh, and let, let me just give a, a word of uh, explanation what has happened. Uh, in Acts chapter 4, we have the response that happens because of the healing of the lame man in chapter 3. This man was 40 years old plus. Uh, he had laid at the gate beautiful for months and months, perhaps years. Uh, he was a beggar. And uh, Peter and John come at the hour of prayer to the temple and they say, silver and gold, have I none? Uh, but such as I have, I give you. And they say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And this man who has never walked in his life uh, takes up his bed and begins to run about and to leap. Uh, this is, again, a miracle because you don't just, uh, never having walked a step in your life, start running. And uh, so not only did the Lord heal his legs, but he also gave him supernatural ability. Uh, if you've ever been in a serious uh, situation in the hospital and you've been on your back, uh, and to be able to start walking again, you've got to go through weeks and weeks of physical therapy before you can get that strength and that movement back. Now, this man uh, has this ability to run uh, the very hour that he is healed. And uh, as he uh, begins to demonstrate God's goodness by his healing, uh, Peter and John, they seize opportunity and they preach to the crowd a gospel message. Then we find that uh, Peter and John and uh, some of the other apostles are brought before the Sanhedrin in chapter 4. And they're questioned about what they have done. And uh, the Sanhedrin, of course, doesn't want to acknowledge Jesus Christ. They don't want to acknowledge the reality of this miracle, nor do they want to repent and uh, get right with God. And so we begin at verse number 16. Here it says, this is what the Sanhedrin uh, says here, saying, what shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle, miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. Now they say, what shall we do? You know, the best answer is you should repent and get saved. And quit fighting against God. Uh, accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's what they should do. But that's not what they want to do. Their heart is hardened against Christ. And then in verse number 17, but that it should spread no further among the people, let us straightly or strictly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in 
this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Now Christ had commanded them to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And they're basically saying, you can't obey the Great Commission any longer. You can't preach in the name of Jesus Christ. And they say, with all due respect, we must preach. We cannot obey you rather than God. Uh, for them to obey this human government would be to obey or disobey the higher authority, which was God, who told them to preach the gospel to every creature. And verse 21, so when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them. Now, they'd been thinking, what can we do to these guys? They'd like to punish them. They'd like to teach them a lesson, as it were. But they're afraid of the people. Because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was above 40 years old on whom the miracle of healing was showed. So there's this question what are we going to do with these men? How can we stop this message from spreading? They let them go. And uh, what would you do if you had been arrested? What would you do if you'd been questioned? What would you do if the government said you can't any longer preach in the name of Jesus Christ? Well, they go to their own People to the church. Verse 23, and being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. You know, it's a wonderful thing to have a church that you can be a part of. When there's a problem, when there's a situation that arises, you can go and be with God's people and find people who understand Find people who care. Find people who can help and encourage. My friend, if you're not part of a Bible-believing local church, you ought to join a Bible-believing local church. This would be a good church to join, to be a part of. You know, some people, they attend a church for years and years, but never join in. And that ought not so to be. Uh, if it's a church that upholds the word of God, a church that honors the Lord Jesus Christ, that a church that is trying to serve God, then you ought to cast your light in and be part of them. You know, it's interesting. When Paul, after he was saved, he went to Jerusalem. He was there for 15 days, if you look at the chronology. And as soon as he got to Jerusalem, it says that he essayed to join himself to the apostles there. He didn't know how long he'd be there, but he wanted to get in and be part of the church. 15 days, and uh, he was ready to join this church. Now, of course, he had to flee there because of persecution uh, and was not able to join the church fully, but uh, he wanted to be part. And so they went to their own company. And uh, when they get to the church here, after uh, uh, this threatening, they report to the church what was done. Look at verse 23, Acts 4, verse 23. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And so they gave an account. This is what happened to us. This is what they threatened with us. And this is what they want to do. And do you know what they did as a church? They were spiritual. 
they didn't say, well, we better very, be very careful here. We don't want to rock the boat. We want to, don't want to draw any attention to ourselves. You know what the church did? Is they went to prayer. And when there's problems, and when there's threats, and when there's persecution, what the church needs to do is this. We need to go to God in prayer. Prayer is our greatest defense and resource. Now, I want you to note here how this early church prayed. And when we look at the example of this early church, there are some things that we could add to our church prayer life and our individual prayer lives. And so they report what has been done. We could say they shared their prayer request. And uh, this is a situation here. Then look at verse number 24. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hath made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. So there's these threats. There's this coming persecution. And they lift up their voice to God in prayer. Now this is a whole church getting together to pray. It's just not Peter and John, but it's a whole church together. And it seems that this church was praying in unison. It says they were in one accord. There was unity in the church here. And every church ought to have unity. When there's unity, the Lord says it's a wonderful thing. It's a blessed thing. Psalm 133. Uh, it's just like the anointing oil that ran down upon Aaron. A fragrant thing. And we should always desire to have the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And my friends, if there's anything that ever comes about to disrupt the unity of the church, it ought to be dealt with in a biblical manner. And uh, people ought to be challenged and exhorted from the word of God. This is not the way Christians do things. But we don't have discord among the brethren. We don't have bickering and we don't have fights. Uh, we are to be in one accord. In Acts chapter 6, we find that there was a murmuring that broke out in the church between the Grecians and the Hebrew widows. And what did they do? They resolved it in a biblical manner. And then they had prayer and they appointed deacons to serve the tables and to resolve this matter. And once again, because they did it biblically, there was unity and the work of God went forward. And so consider that they were of one accord. Now, I want you to note here, as they prayed, they began their prayer, first of all, with praise and thanksgiving. Verse number 24 says, They lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hath made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. It's important that we begin our prayer with praise. The Bible says, if you hold your place there, go to Psalm 100 and verse number 4. Psalm 100, verse number 4. Psalm 100 and uh, verse number 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. When we come into God's presence, we should come with praise and thanksgiving. 
And that's how they began their prayer. Lord, thou art God. When they said thou art God, the word God means the almighty, the all-powerful one. They acknowledged the greatness of God. And then they acknowledged God as creator. You've made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. They did not say evolution has made these things. Chance has caused them to be. But rather, God has created them by his wisdom and his power. And it's very important that we do not concede the glory of God and the power of God to chance. Evolution is an, an impossibility. It is something that only can occur in the minds of scientists. It doesn't happen in reality. God is the one that has made heaven and earth, the seas and everything in them. And so they begin their prayer with praise. Now, what happens when you begin your prayer with praise? Not only is it biblical, but it's also helpful. It helps us focus on who we are praying to. We are praying to the Almighty God, the God who has power not only to hear my prayer, but to answer my prayer. Jesus, in the model prayer, he told us this, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Again, begin with praise, acknowledging who we are praying to. Oftentimes, when we begin our prayer, we just begin with some kind of rote statement. What is the most famous thing that people say? Lord, thank you for this day. <laughs> and uh, they don't even think about what they're doing. Uh, you know, and uh, why should we pray? Well, because God hears and answers prayer. He wants us to pray. So we begin with praise. And when you begin your prayer, think about what you can praise God for. Maybe you're going to praise him for his mighty works. Maybe you're going to praise him for his attributes. Maybe you're going to praise him for his mercy and his grace and his salvation. But begin with praise and thanksgiving. Acknowledge what God has given to you and what he's done for you. And so they lifted up their voice to God. They entered into his presence with praise. And then I want you to note here that they began to quote scripture. Look at verse number 25 and 26. Who by the mouth of thy servant David hath said. Now, just an interesting thought here. When they say, who by the mouth of thy servant David hath said. David was the penman. He was the one that wrote down this psalm, and they're quoting Psalm number two. But it was God who spoke through him. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. The Bible is not a collection of the writings of men, but it is a collection of the words of God. And God simply used these men as his mouthpiece, as his vessel. And when you hold the word of God in your hands, you can be assured that every single word is the word of God. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And so we have a book here that is the very word of God. And so they say here, now you've said by the mouth of David, uh, or, or you spoke through David who, who uh, said what you told him to write, in other words. And then they quote Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. 
They're quoting the word of God in their prayer. Now, to see exactly what David said, let's go and read uh, Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2. Hold your place here, but read the very words that David said. And it's virtually identical to what they quote, by the way. Psalm chapter 2. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying. Now, the disciples, when they quote this, they say, against thy Christ. And here it says against the anointed. But the word Christ means the anointed one. So they're essentially saying the same thing. And so when they quote here Psalms, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, what they're doing is this. They're saying, Lord, it was prophesied that the kings and the rulers would fight against you and that they would fight against your Messiah, the anointed one, your Christ. And what they're doing is this, is basically saying, Lord, what has happened to us today does not take you by surprise. You know fully well what has happened and why it happened. Why? Because you prophesied in your word in Psalms 2, verses 1 and 2, that it would happen. And so they quote the word of God in their prayer. And because they quote the word of God in their prayer, they have authority to ask their petition next. And their petition is this. If you look now at verse number 27. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. It says that the rulers of the earth and the people and the nations have stood up against you. And they say, now the truth, this has happened. Pontius Pilate, Herod, the Gentiles, the house of Israel, and they have stood against you and against your holy child, Jesus, the Christ. And then verse 28, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determine before to be done. As they pray this prayer, they say, now, Lord, you've determined beforehand that this should be done. It's prophesied in your word. It is ordained. It's told to us in the book of Isaiah 53 that Jesus Christ would be rejected. He would be humiliated and he would be killed by his own people. And so this persecution doesn't take you by surprise. It's to be expected, rather. And because they quote the word of God, they can ask a proper prayer. Now, if you'd been persecuted or threatened with persecution, what would you tend to do? You may say, Lord, they're threatening to persecute me. They're threatened to hurt me. They've told me not to preach any longer. Lord, would you take away the persecution? Would you cause them to be at peace with us? But that's not what they ask. Know what they ask here. Verse 29. Now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Lord, don't take away the persecution. Don't take away the threatenings. Now give us boldness to continue to be faithful. To preach the word of God unashamedly. And not to back down in the face of persecution. 
They're asking God for boldness. And then the next thing they ask for is for a demonstration of God's power. Verse number 30. By stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. Now, Lord, we need boldness, and we need you to work. We need you to show forth your power by healing and doing great signs and wonders. Now, remember, this is the apostolic time. The gifts, especially the sign gifts, were still in, uh, they were still available. They were still being used. The, the sign gifts, uh, such as tongues and healings and other kinds of miracles, they were to authorize the message and the minister. And uh, by God doing these things, he put his stamp of approval on the message that was being preached, as well as the messenger who was preaching that message. Interestingly, by the end of the first century, as you look at church history, you'll find that the use of the sign gifts basically became obsolete. These miracles became obsolete. Why? Because you had the completed word of God and you had the mature established church. It was not needed any longer. But for the infancy of the church, you needed these signs and wonders and these miracles to demonstrate God's power. And so we're praying that you would give us boldness. Boldness to be willing to open up your mouth. And not to fear the face of man, to preach, thus saith the Lord, to call people to repentance who have crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, they were so effective in their preaching that in chapter 5, they say to the early Christians, the disciples, the apostles there, you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Now, hadn't they, when they crucified Jesus Christ, said, his blood be upon us and our children forever? <laughs> they were just fulfilling their request, but they didn't want it now. Uh, they wanted freedom from guilt of their sin. And so they asked for boldness, and God heard their prayer. Now, note here, how their prayer was answered here. If you go to verse number 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they assembled together. Now, a few weeks earlier, there was the day of Pentecost. And uh, on the day of Pentecost, when the fullness of the Spirit came upon the church, it was also shaken. And uh, a similar event happens here. And on the day of Pentecost, it says what? They were all filled with the Spirit. And they spake with tongues as God gave them utterance. And here, instead of speaking with tongues, it says in verse 31, the place was shaken where they assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. God heard and answered their prayer. He filled them with the Holy Spirit. Now, the fullness of the Holy Spirit is not a feeling. It is rather to be a reality. It is where God has complete control of us, where he empowers us. And the primary evidence of being spirit-filled is being a bold witness for Jesus Christ. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. They spake the word of God with boldness. They were not afraid of persecution. They were not afraid of threats. They were not afraid of imprisonment or even death. They spoke the word of God with boldness. They continued to be faithful martyrs even 
unto death. It's interesting, just to a little sidelight here, the word witness and the word martyr in the Greek language, they're the same word, martus, M-A-R-T-U-S. Many of the witnesses of Jesus Christ became martyrs for Christ. You often would expect to die for your witness. Of the 12 apostles, only John, from what we are told by tradition, died a natural death. All the others died a martyr's death. And John should have died a martyr's death, but he survived the attempt to kill him. When a person dies for Christ, they never die in vain. You may have heard just recently, less than two weeks ago, actually, it'd be two weeks tomorrow, Stephen Troel, a independent Baptist missionary in Baghdad, Iraq, was martyred, killed by, we believe, Islamists who hated what he was talking about. Winning people to Jesus Christ. When we have the word martyr mentioned in the scriptures, and it's mentioned three times, it's interesting in all three cases, they are claimed to be the Lord's martyrs. Let me just give you these references quickly. Acts 22.20 Paul says this, when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed. Thy martyr Stephen. Not just a martyr, but a martyr that belongs to the Lord. Revelation 17, verse 6. Uh, uh, I saw the woman drunken with the blood and with the martyrs of Jesus. The martyrs of Jesus, the martyrs that belong to Jesus. Uh, she was drunken with their blood. Revelation 2, 13. Antipapus was my faithful martyr among you. Jesus says, he was my faithful martyr. Revelation 6, 9. We read, them that were slain for the word of God and for their testimony, their witness. Now, to be very frank, in North America, we very seldom hear of a martyr among us. Who comes to your mind as being a martyr for Jesus Christ? I can't think of one in recent history. You know, we've had it pretty easy. But my friends, times are changing. And we'd been, we better be prepared that if we're going to be a faithful witness for, for Jesus Christ, we might face martyrdom ourselves. It is a common thing in other countries of the world, in the Middle East, in Africa, in other countries, they are being killed on a regular basis. Christians are being killed on a regular basis for their witness of Jesus Christ. And so when martyrdom does come, let us be faithful. We read in the book of Revelation during the uh, tribulation period that it will be a common practice to martyr Christians. And so let's be prepared to be faithful witnesses for Christ. It's interesting that oftentimes the blood of martyrs results in the salvation of the murderers. For instance, when Stephen was martyred and his blood was shed, Paul was there who took part in it and who saw it, and it had effect in him, and he eventually became a believer. And he preached the same gospel that Stephen preached. 
And Paul eventually became a martyr for Jesus Christ as well. But Paul started churches among the Gentiles especially. Jim Elliot and Nate Saint, who were murdered among the Aka Indians. Where they were martyred, these people, many of them became believers and a church was started in this tribe there. Stanley Dell, who was martyred by the Yale natives of New Guinea. A church was eventually started in the village where they martyred him. And we're told that about 80% of the Yale people became believers in Jesus Christ. The blood of the martyrs is never shed in vain. It's very precious to the Lord. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And so these early believers are not afraid of martyrdom. And many of them would give their lives as martyrs. In chapter 7 of the book of Acts, we have the martyrdom of Stephen, the very first martyr of the New Testament church. But not the only one, just the first of a long line of martyrs. Now, getting back to our text here of Acts chapter 4, I especially want you to think about quoting the word of God when you pray. Why should we quote the word of God? Well, it is a biblical thing. But I want you to consider something else. When you quote the word of God, it pleases God. Why does it please God? Because God is pleased with his word. He loves his word. Matter of fact, we're told in Psalm 138, verse number 2, that thou hast magnified thy word above thy name. The name of God is holy. The name of God is sacred. The name of God should never be taken in vain. It's special. And it says, my word, I've even magnified it above my special holy name. And so when we quote the word of God, we demonstrate that we believe the word of God to be true and we have faith in it. They quoted the word of God. Secondly, when you quote the word of God in prayer, it gives you boldness to ask specific things. The word of God properly interpreted and applied gives you authority when you do pray. Why? Because you're praying according to the will of God. The will of God and the word of God never contradict and when you use the word of God when you pray, you will be praying in the will of God. Again, it must be properly interpreted and properly applied. Let me uh, give you an example. My children would oftentimes come to me and ask a request. They could come to me and say, Dad, could I have this or could I do this? And I would think, well, okay. Uh, sometimes I'd say, let me think about it. Other times I'd say, yes, you may do this or you may have that. But then sometimes I'd say, no, I don't think you should do that. I don't want you to have that right now. If they came to me that way, I may or may not grant the request however there's another way they could come to me they could come to me and say dad you said that and you can fill in the blank now when they would quote my words I would listen very carefully and I would be obligated to answer their request because they quoted my word I said I would do it. 
and they would get their request granted. Do you see the difference between having a general request and quoting the word of God? When you quote the word of God, it's basically saying, Lord, you said that. And I'm asking on the authority of your word. And God will not be found a liar. And so we come to him on the basis of his word. Now, when we quote the word of God, we're not reminding God what he said. He doesn't forget. Uh, sometimes a parent does forget and needs to be reminded. But uh, what we're doing is this. We are pleasing the Lord because he wants us to love his word. He wants us to use his word. Let me uh, give you an example of quoting the word of God when you ask for something in prayer. Let's say you have a person that you're praying for, for their salvation. Maybe you have a parent, brother, sister, daughter, son. You could say, Lord, would you save them? And then name their name. Or you could pray that same general prayer, but you could ask very specifically according to the word of God. You could say this, Lord, You've said in your word, according to 1 Peter or 2 Peter 3, 9, that you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And Lord, you don't want dad to perish. You want him to come to repentance. So I'm asking you on the basis of your word, would you save my father? Would you work in his life? Would you soften his heart? Would you bring him to repentance so that he could be saved? You could also quote 1 Timothy 2.2, 2, that you would have all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Lord, you want everyone to be saved, especially my father. And so I'm going to ask you, based upon your word, would you save dad? Would you bring him to the knowledge of the truth so he can trust in Jesus Christ? Would you bring somebody in his life today to share the gospel with him or cause him to hear it somehow? Maybe over the radio or read a tract or maybe that you would work in his conscience and bring back to him some truth that he's heard previously. But would you work in his life to bring him to the truth? Or you could quote John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth him should not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, would you save my father? Your word says that Jesus Christ died for him and that you love him. And would you have mercy on his soul and save him? Do you see how that quoting the word of God makes your request bolder with more authority and you're praying for God to work in an unusual way that very day. Not just in general, but that very day. And if he doesn't get saved that day, then you pray again according to the word of God the next day. But you're asking God to do something. And... Uh, we want to pray according to the word of God. And so begin your prayer with praise and thanksgiving. Focus in on who you're praying to. Bring glory to God. And then quote the word of God as you pray. And it's interesting as you'll read through various prayers in the Bible, you see that they did quote the word of God oftentimes. And then you can come boldly before the throne of grace to ask for help. And you can trust then, therefore, that the Lord will help you and answer your prayer. And so let us determine, I'm going to be a person of prayer. And I want to pray more effectively. You know, there's so many things that we need to be praying about. And so many things, not only we need to be praying about, that we, but we need answers concerning. We need God to hear our prayers. 
And God does want to hear and answer our prayer. Praying, quoting the word of God, will help you to pray more effectively. And so let's make a decision as a church here. I want to be a person of prayer. And I am going to incorporate this into my prayer life if it's not part of your prayer life now. Quoting the word of God. And uh, I'm going to start asking for specific things. I'm going to come boldly before the throne of grace based upon the word of God and my relationship to my Lord. And I trust that you'll be able to give many testimonies as a church and as individuals of what God has done. Now, while we're talking about praying for unsaved people, maybe there's somebody here this morning who's unsaved. If you died today, you would not go to heaven. You'd go to hell. God loves you. He wants you to be saved. Jesus Christ died for you. Would you trust him right now? Would you come just as you are? Say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve your forgiveness. I rather deserve your judgment. But I believe your word that Jesus Christ died for my sins and that he has the power to save me. And right now, I'm going to do what the Bible says, and that's to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to call upon the name of the Lord. And you could be saved right here, sitting in your seat. You could say, Lord, please have mercy on me and save my soul. In just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. And as we have this invitation, if you need to come and pray about something, God's moving your heart. Why don't you come and find a place of prayer? If you can't come to the front, maybe you could pray where you're at. If you need to be saved, would you come forward and trust Jesus Christ? And we'll get somebody to explain the gospel to you if you need help in that way. And you could walk out of here knowing that Christ is your Savior. Knowing that your sins are forgiven, that you have eternal life. Let's stand for a word of closing prayer and invitation song. Now, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truths that we've seen from your word this morning. We thank you for the persecution that you allowed to come upon the early church here that was according to your will, that had been prophesied in your word. We thank you for the example of the early church that they believed your word and they prayed according to your word as they quoted your word. And you heard and answered their prayer. You gave them boldness. You filled them with your spirit. And as a result, Jesus Christ was glorified and souls were saved. Now, Lord, help us to make decisions about being more effective in our prayer life and putting into practice some things that will help us. And Lord, I also want to ask if there's anyone that is unsaved here, would you convict them of their need of Jesus Christ? I pray that the Holy Spirit would be convicting them of their sin, of their lack of righteousness, of judgment to come and that they would be drawn to Jesus Christ today. Help them make that decision now, we ask. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we uh, remain standing, we're going to have Brother Royce come and lead us. And if you need to make a decision, would you do that now? While it's fresh in your mind, while it's heavy on your heart, do you need to pray about something? Do you need to make a decision about some other area of your life? Maybe it's not something that I've even mentioned this morning, but God's been working your life. Would you do that? And uh, you need to be saved. Would you come and meet uh, somebody at the front here who will show you from the Bible how to be saved? All right, let's take our hymnals. We'll turn to number 312, Jesus, I Come. We'll sing the first and the last verse. <coughs>
Brother Krim, could I ask you to close us in prayer? Amen. Uh, don't forget, those of you who have children in the Patch Club, uh, please stick around for the practice. And those that are involved in the orchestra.